he was getting browbeat by Bob Dole. He was getting browbeat by all the Republicans and especially the absolute zealous Republicans that wanted this. You know, and that kind of uh, willingness to lose at the ballot box, if need be, if you're gonna stand by your principles. So many people putting their finger up to the winds. When you look at Mark Hatfield's political life, he took one unpopular cause after the next. Uh, he makes decisions based on his internal philosophy, um, again, that's been shared with voters. Um, but once he makes that decision, he's made the decision. And to try to cajole him off of that with uh, party loyalty or, you know, some political uh, approach uh, to, his, to, his, to his decision, it's not going to work. It would never work. For Senator Mark Hatfield of Oregon, standing firm on his beliefs wasn't just a one-time thing. Being a staunch opponent of the Vietnam War nearly cost him the opportunity to be in the U.S. Senate. A person's belief, however, wasn't simply a calculation of risk for the senator. It was a way of life. I'm Kevin Curry. July 12, 2022 would have been the senator's 100th birthday. So this season, we revisit the moment of Mark Hatfield's 30-year career in the United States Senate. Our guides are the voices and memories of those who worked closely with him and observed his leadership. In this second episode, we revisit the time late in his career that Senator Hatfield was willing to walk away from the U.S. Senate to remain firm in his beliefs, while also supporting a close political colleague. This episode of Revisit the Moment is sponsored by the Oregon Historical Society. The Oregon Historical Society is dedicated to making Oregon's long, rich history visible and accessible to all. For more than a century, it has served as the state's collective memory, gathering and preserving a vast collection of artifacts, photographs, films, manuscripts, books, and oral histories. The Oregon Historical Society shares its vast collection through thought-provoking museum exhibits and robust digital platforms. It brings history directly to Oregon students in ways that bridge gaps of time and perspective, and supports lifelong learning through many public lectures and events. Be sure to visit the Oregon Historical Society Museum Store, the perfect place to shop if you're looking for something uniquely Oregon. Browse books, historic photos, housewares, jewelry, and much more, all representing Oregon's rich history and culture. The museum store contains a wide variety of items related to the exhibits, programs, and collections of the Oregon Historical Society, as well as current and back issues of its journal of record, the Oregon Historical Quarterly. The museum store is also where you can purchase a DVD copy of The Gentleman of the Senate, Oregon's Mark Hatfield, the feature-length documentary on the senator. Learn more about the Oregon Historical Society online at ohs.org. I mean, I think people mistake the role of peacemaker for weakness, and that is a mistake with, with Senator Hatfield. And I, I saw many examples of, I, I kind of interpreted it as a very tough Englishman, and I'm not sure if he's all English, but at, at certain points um, when he had gotten to the point where he could see that the policy objective needed to be obtained, and there was what he saw as irrational opposition to that, uh, he would take that, he would, he would take a very firm stand on that. Like many staff members, 
Doug Paul first worked with Senator Hatfield as an intern. Four years later, in 1990, he joined the staff full-time and worked there until the senator retired in 1996. It was in those last two years that Senator Hatfield faced another career-defining decision. This one was about a balanced budget amendment to the United States Constitution. Particularly when he's simply conveying his position. The balanced budget amendment is a supreme example of that. He has a position. It's very well thought out. It's very well uh, conveyed to his constituents. His constituents don't necessarily agree with it, um, but he doesn't make decisions by polls. Uh, he makes decisions based on his internal philosophy, um, again, that's been shared with voters. Um, but once he makes that decision, he's made the decision. And to try to cajole him off of that with uh, party loyalty or you know some political uh, approach uh, to his to his to his decision, it's not going to work. It would never work. Jim Fitzhenry began working for Senator Hatfield as an intern in 1978. He returned to the staff in 1985 and served the senator until 1990. He observed the way Senator Hatfield worked with others and respected the United States Senate and its role in American governance. He loved the institution and he loved the people in it. And in an environment like the Senate, which was by definition tension-producing, conflict-producing, um, there were very few men that had the relational gift of fostering truly relationships. I mean, Mark Hatfield cared about his colleagues, truly cared human to human, person to person. And that was very much important and almost a salve in an environment where often relationships become less important. Mark Hatfield was able to show that relationships, in fact, were the most important, and he actually was able to um, develop those relationships, which helped him politically. But he didn't do it because of anything political. He did it because he cared about people, and there are a number of great examples of that. Keith Kennedy has the distinction of being, possibly, Senator Hatfield's longest-serving staff member. He began as an intern in 1972 while a student at the Divinity School at Duke University and served until Senator Hatfield retired in 1996. Over that 24-year period, he worked as a legislative assistant, then as staff on the committees the senator was appointed to, including the Select Committee on Indian Affairs and the Appropriations Committee. He concluded his service as the staff director for the full Senate Appropriations Committee, while Senator Hatfield was the chairman of the committee. The, the balanced budget amendment had been part of the Speaker Gingrich's contract with America, and the House passed it by the necessary margin, and it came to the Senate, and... Uh, debate began, and it is typical with Senate debates, you know, you talk about it here and there. You know, it wasn't like it was on the floor for debate for several solid weeks. But fairly on, early on in the process, Senator Hatfield went to the Senate floor and gave a statement and said he was not in favor of it. He was going to vote against it and articulated his reasons why. He had voted against it before. And not much notice was made of it or alarm raised uh, in no small part because Senator Dole and the other members of the Republican leadership uh, were counting on a number of Democrats to vote for it. 
Democrats who had in their campaigns who said they would support it. In 1982, after law school, Jim Toohey headed to Capitol Hill in search of a position. He landed with Senator Childs of Florida, but it was only six months later that he learned of an opening in Senator Hatfield's office. Through a connection with Hatfield staffer Randy Stearns and his wife Jan, he received an interview and was hired. He would go from legislative assistant to eventually become Hatfield's legislative director and legal counsel. Although he had left Capitol Hill before the showdown over the balanced budget amendment, he had a keen understanding of what it meant to everyone involved. This was back in when the Clinton presidency was uh, very vulnerable and uh, he had this balanced budget vote up and Clinton had really made it a, a showdown in the Senate and the Republicans were going to roll him. But uh, Senator Hatfield was siding with President Clinton on that balanced budget issue where the senator's position had been long known and understood. And I think some of the Republican staff and others thought, well, he'll cave if there's enough pressure on him because the stakes are so high. And here's a way to topple President Clinton and further weaken him so he won't get reelected. As Oregon's Secretary of State from 1991 to 1999, Phil Kiesling was in a unique position to observe all of Oregon's elected officials. His first connection with Hatfield came years earlier when a young Kiesling was a reporter for Willamette Week. In 1981, he wrote a profile of Senator Hatfield and spent several days on the road as the senator traveled the state. After retiring from politics in 1999, Kiesling would helm the Center for Public Service located in the Marco Hatfield School of Government at Portland State University. Are you willing to stand up to your friends and tell them, Here's where I think you're wrong. Are you willing to reach across gaps, divides, even chasms, and say, you know, here's where I think you happen to be right? Um, the Republicans had as one of their top priorities in the mid-90s the passage of the balanced budget amendment. Uh, it was part of the contract for America. Uh, there were a few Democrats even who supported it and thought that it was better than the alternative. But it was mainly Democrats who fiercely opposed it. The Republicans were looking not only for a win, but Hatfield's good friend, Bob Dole. Basically, you know, the story others will tell it better than I, more accurately probably. But uh, Bob Dole says, you know, I, 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 I want this. I even need this to get elected president in, in my race in 1996. Carrie Timchuk who today serves as the executive director of the Oregon Historical Society, got his start in Washington, D.C. as an intern for Senator Mark Hatfield. His career would eventually land him a position in the office of Senator Bob Dole of Kansas, the Republican majority leader. It gave him a front-row seat to the unfolding drama. And because of his connection with Senator Hatfield, it meant Senator Dole would lean on him for advice. In 1995, uh, during the balanced budget debate, uh, November of 94 was the, uh, the Gingrich Revolution, the contract with America. Republicans took control of both houses of Congress for the first time. Uh, Senator Dole switched from becoming, was minority leader, was now the majority leader of the Senate. Uh, the balanced budget amendment, part of the contract with America, came up before the House and the Senate. Passed the House, lickety split, uh, by greater than the two-thirds margin needed to, to send a constitutional amendment to the states. It came over to the Senate in the spring of 95 at a crucial time and Senator Dole, for Senator Dole's political future, he was contemplating running for the presidency. Uh, he was going to run, hadn't announced yet. This was a test of his leadership uh, among Republicans. 
at a very critical time. Bob Packwood, Hatfield's fellow U.S. senator from Oregon, witnessed the tension over the vote. Senator Hatfield was being leaned on by his colleagues. An intense level of pressure was being applied. He was getting browbeat by Bob Dole. He was getting browbeat by all the Republicans and especially the absolute zealous Republicans that wanted this. He, they didn't need me. He was just getting hit hard. I could, you could see it at our, at our caucus luncheons. You could see it and there'd be some conference, Republican conference meeting, some other issue. And two or three senators would surround Mark and really hit him on this. He, he, he withstood an immense pressure on that. You needed 67 votes in the Senate, greater than two-thirds majority, to send a constitutional member to the state. Uh, Senator Dole thought we had it lined up. We had all 56 Republicans, and we had uh, he, 11 Democrats who had agreed to, to cross the Clinton administration and to vote to send this to the states. So we had our 67 votes. Well, as the time drew near for the actual vote, the Republican leadership began to learn that that was not going to be the case, that they were not going to get the kind of Democratic support that they had hoped for. And increasingly, it was apparent that um, Mark Hatfield may not be the guy that would put it over the top, but he was going to be the only Republican voting no. The night before the final vote, uh, March, I believe, of 1995, Senator Hatfield came to Senator Dole's office and said that he had searched his conscience and that in all good conscience he could not vote for the amendment. He did not believe that the Constitution should be muddled up with a balanced budget amendment. And Senator Dole came to see me after the meeting and knowing that we were close friends to strategize with him on how to change Senator Hatfield's mind in essentially 24 hours. And they really wanted to have a united Republican front. And the, and the pressure became really intense. I mean, everybody was talking to him about it. Um, all kinds of calls were coming in from outside the Senate, from people of prominence that had been recruited to call him up and try to persuade him. And he said, I've, I've said, I've told you what my position is and I'm sticking to that position. And, you know, I've publicly said that I will vote against it. I'm not gonna change my mind. I suggested we, you know, the only thing we really needed to do was get Herbert Hoover to call a senator's hero, but from the grave, but, but that wouldn't work. And, and knowing Senator Hatfield as I did, and Senator Dole knew this too, that once Senator Hatfield had made up his mind, that there was nothing you were gonna to do to change, to change his mind. So the next morning, shortly before the vote, uh, just minutes before the vote, Senator Hatfield, who had obviously been sleeping on this issue as well, came to see Senator Dole and said that he knew how important this vote was to Senator Dole. And because of his high regard for him as a leader and as a person, he offered to resign uh, from the Senate immediately, on the spot, that day, uh, leaving 99 senators in the Senate, meaning that the 66 votes that we had would be greater than the two-thirds majority and would be enough to send this amendment to the states. Now, some leaders would have accepted this offer, I think, to achieve this, this victory. Uh, Senator Dole did not. He rejected it out of hand, uh, respecting as he did any senator's right to vote his conscience. And then the vote came and occurred, and we had 66 votes and lost by, by one vote, by Senator Hatfield's vote. Well, first, Bob and I were 
close friends either. But I knew Bob was going, would talk him out of it if necessary. Bob was no more going to accept that resignation, and I and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was not privy to what did Bob say when Mark said that, but I do know in talking to Bob later that the last thing he wanted, because he got along well with Mark, the last thing he wanted was for Mark to resign. And uh, that causes Bob all kinds of problems. An offer of resignation showed tremendous courage and willingness to stand up for your convictions. In the same way, a rejection of the offer demonstrated leadership, friendship, and respect. Although he'd left the senator's staff, Jim Toohey happened to be in the U.S. Capitol the day of the vote. And Senator Hatfield uh, was resolute and following his own convictions. And it infuriated a lot of his colleagues. And I was in the Senate dining room the day of the vote. Just by chance, I was in town from Florida. And uh, you could have gotten frostbite from the looks of some of these senators passing in and out of the dining room because Senator Hatfield's vote turned out to be the swing vote. Not all Senate Republicans were as understanding as Bob Dole. Keith Kennedy explains the attempt some younger GOP senators made to punish Hatfield for the vote. Well, uh, some of the newer members of the Senate uh, had, had come from the House. And uh, uh, in the House, deviating from what the leadership asked you to do was, you know, a punishable crime. Um, and so with that House experience in mind, several of these new members decided that the Senate Republican caucus ought to somehow discipline Mark Hatfield for having deviated from the party line. That effort was led by uh, former Senator Rick Santorum from Pennsylvania, but there were others involved. Senator Connie Mack from Florida was part of the group. Um, and they, Connie Mack, to his credit, came to Senator Hatfield personally, and I sat in on the meeting, and said, you know, I think what you did was wrong, and I think, you know, people who hold leadership positions like chairs of committees ought to, you know, do what the leadership asked them to do on these important issues to the party. And I'm going to ask the caucus to review this and unseat you as chairman. Senator Packwood recalls this period as one of the hardest times Mark Hatfield ever faced in the U.S. Senate. And at that stage, there was a Republican conference held, and the issue was should he be stripped of his committee chairmanship because, because of that vote. And I remember going into the meeting, and Mark was sitting in a chair kind of in the middle of the room, and no other senator was sitting around him. And I went and I sat next to him, and by and large, we were able to convince the group we're not going to start taking people's chairmanships away because of one vote. But afterwards, Mark thanked me a lot. He said that was one time when he really felt lonely. In the end, Senator Hatfield survived the challenge to his chairmanship. He survived because of the respect of his colleagues from both sides of the aisle. It did not happen because of the uh, enormous respect in which he was held. It did not happen because uh, there were a number of people, the institutionalists, the people like Domenici or Ted Stevens or Bob Dole, you know, who thought, well, you know, we're not the House and 
people get to vote the way they believe they should vote over here. And, um, you know, to start messing around with long established rules and precedents of how people get to be chairman and stay there is gonna, it's gonna have unintended consequences. I think they also realized that they weren't gonna be able to do what they wanted to do because chairman in the Senate, chairmen are made chairman of committees by a vote of the Senate. There's a resolution at the beginning of the Congress that organizes the Senate and establishes committee memberships and who the chairman, chairmen were, will be. To unseat him would have taken a vote of the Senate. And during all this discussion, there was a constant parade of senators from the Democratic side of the aisle coming over to say to Mark Hatfield, we're not gonna let him do it. People like Fritz Hollings and Dan Inouye and Pat Leahy and Democratic members of the committee. The balanced budget amendment vote also left an impression on Senator Bob Dole. Although Dole had retired from the U.S. Senate, Kerry Timchuk still helped him with speechwriting. Senator Dole was asked a year and a half, two years later after he left the Senate to come back and speak to his former colleagues in the Senate uh, as a, a Senator Lott, who was then the leader, was sponsoring this group of lectures called the Leaders Lecture, where former leaders were coming back and reflecting on their years in the Senate. And I helped Senator Dole with his remarks, and we went through as he was deciding what to say, and it was it just was reflecting on certain days of the Senate that that he never forgot of his, of his 30 years in the Senate. And he mentioned this day, enlisted this day, as the toughest day he ever had in the Senate, the day that he knew he was going to lose this vote, and the day that he could have accepted Senator Hatfield's offer and achieved this victory. And he asked rhetorically in the speech, if he had to do it all over again, if he could rewrite history, would he have accepted Senator Hatfield's offer and achieved this victory of sending this balanced budget amendment to the states? And he replied, no, he wouldn't, because in his life and his career, he has learned that life has its ups and downs, its victories and defeats, and that you can't have uh, one of just all, of, of just all victories. And, and the most important thing is not that you don't lose. The most important thing is that you're always in there trying. The principled positions Mark Hatfield took and his courage to stand by those positions, even when they risked an end to his career, is a characteristic most admired by his former staff and others. You know, and that kind of... Uh willingness to lose at the ballot box, if need be, if you're gonna stand by your principles. So many people putting their finger up to the winds. When you look at Mark Hatfield's political life, he took one unpopular cause after the next and used to drive Jerry Frank nuts because he knew it was gonna make the reelect even harder. But uh, Senator Hatfield would find uh, the center on that issue where he felt he was comfortable, that this was my belief. You know, and once he was grounded in, in where he stood on an issue, once he'd been educated on it, heard both sides, once he took his position, that's where he stood. And unless there was reason to change his position, he didn't. And that's why you could see him on the balanced budget amendment standing his ground then. But to go back to Senator Hatfield, just the, I'll never forget just the tremendous integrity that he had to come to see Senator Dole and to make this offer. He was going to be retiring the next year. He hadn't announced it yet, but I, I think he knew it in his, in his heart that he was gonna retire. So he, I think he figured, you know, my leader, Bob Dole, needs me. And I, while I can't vote for the bill, I can resign from the Senate and give him a chance to get this victory. It was a tremendous gesture. Hatfield uh, didn't care at the end of the day about being well-liked 
by, by everybody. He knew that some people wouldn't cotton to him. Uh, he wouldn't be rude. He was incredibly civil. But that people wouldn't like him and some would be pretty hard about not liking him, which is unusual for a politician. Um, he would be independent, do his thing even without the calculation of it. And I think that contributed enormously to that reputation that, that Oregon had, that willingness to uh, even stand alone at times, um, if you had to, to be uh, following your conscience as you saw, saw it. Those positions, however, didn't come with stubbornness. Ultimately, he sought ways to work with all of his colleagues to find common ground. Jim Tui admired that. Yeah, no, I mean, it was very hard to, to box him into a corner politically and say, here's who he is. Oh, he's like, he was a maverick. He, he was a one-of-a-kind politician. And uh, while he would certainly work within the system, and had a great respect for the institution. If he had to stand alone, he stood alone. Uh, but he also recognized that if he uh, were going to succeed in the Senate, he'd have to build coalitions and support to get 51 votes. So he was also very pragmatic. And that's why, again, a very, very much a contradiction that uh, on the one hand, here he was on the Appropriations Committee where he was charged with that responsibility of making sure each year those bills got passed and signed into law. That, had, that was your classic consensus builder position. And on the other hand, he was no stranger to the filibuster. Uh, he would stand his ground on issues and fight them, even if he were on a, going to get rolled on a vote. And, and I think that's why people in Oregon did respect that he was one of them, and that he was a maverick, and he was uh, a principled person that stood by, stood by what he believed. Marty Gold, who we met in episode one this season and served on the senator's staff early on, sums up Senator Hatfield's courage. Nevertheless, uh, I think what is perfectly evident is you don't have a person who hedged and trimmed throughout his career and was courageous at isolated moments. You have a courageous person throughout a career who at very specific moments demonstrated that courage in very vivid ways. And that was true of the vote on the Vietnam Resolution, and it was true on the vote on the balanced budget amendment which were two very different kinds of issues, but nevertheless required a lot of courage because they went very much against the grain. Coming up on the next episode of the second season of Revisit the Moment, Senator Hatfield reaches across the aisle to support the efforts of Oregon's tribes to gain reinstatement, a project that demonstrates his bipartisan nature. We have him featured in some of our videos that we show to our people, especially to our young people, because we don't want them to forget um, the great effort that went forward and that there are people in the Congress who do have these righteous thinking and they'll act according to what they believe is right. And sometimes that's not uh, the sentiment or the popular vote, but they believe it's right. Revisit the Moment is produced by me, Kevin Curry. Audio production and design is by Matt Tibbs. Our production assistant is Gavin Pottle. We record at Linfield University in the studios of the Linfield Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsor, the Oregon Historical Society. Check out the important work they do preserving Oregon's history at ohs.org. This season is dedicated to the memory of Vic Gilliam, whose support for the gentlemen of the Senate made recording these interviews possible. Remember to subscribe to Revisit the Moment 
so you don't miss out on any episodes. Be sure to check out the first season, where we examined Oregon's historic 1996 U.S. Senate race, the first all-vote-by-mail federal election in United States history. And if you enjoyed our work, give us a rating and a review.